Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really enthused and excited today to have Dr. Lee Milligan on the show. Dr. Milligan is the Chief Information Officer and Chief Medical Information Officer at Asante. He's done some really interesting things across his career. He's, he's had a broad spectrum. Anyway, I'm not gonna steal his thunder. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, well, so a couple of things. Thanks for carving out time. Thanks for peeling off time to be here. And um, I love origin stories. I love to hear, you know, how it all started for you. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you went through in your career and, and um, circumstances you've gone through to, to have uh, made you the person you are today. So just love to, love to listen to your story. Great. Um, I, uh, I'm actually an ER doc by training and finished mm-hmm. um, training at UCLA back in 2000 and landed in Southern Oregon for what seemed like the perfect job in a beautiful location. And um, my wife and I had just gotten married and we had finished all of our training. She's a PA and we we're settling down for just a long 30 year career of clinically seeing patients. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around 2008 or 2009, I started to get itchy. And I began to see uh, this train wreck that was about to happen between healthcare and IT as a result of the switch to electronic records. And I had been having some discussions with my brother who works at Intermountain Healthcare about this transition, what this might look like, and how the physician's voice may get lost in the thunder. Mm-hmm. And as this process rolled along, I ended up going back to school actually at a local community college uh, here to pursue computer science. And I was doing that for a couple of years. And in the middle of that, our system began the selection process for an electronic health record. And I began to uh, participate in that process and really enjoyed learning about capabilities of the electronic health record and what it might look like. Eventually, I became what uh, Epic uh, calls a credential trainer, which is basically a, somebody who really learns the system fairly well and then turn around and teaches your compadres about how to use the system. In my case, uh, teaching the other ER docs how to use electronic health record was a little bit like a frontline battle. <laughs> and I've got a lot of scars to, uh, to prove it, uh, but I learned a lot about how uh, adults learn and what that process needs to look like. The concept of anchoring new concepts to old concepts, just making it fun and having whatever you're teaching actually match your workflow. Mm. So I learned a lot kind of in the early days about how to get it right and how to get it wrong. I did that plenty of times. And in the midst of that, I began to learn about QA. And at one point in the process, we were uh, sampling some various orders for the emergency department. And we realized that some of the orders either weren't there at all or were there but were incorrect. Mm-hmm. And as I asked the Epic folks back in Wisconsin, well, how do you account for that? What do we what do we do to fix that? And the response was a little disturbing. It was you go live, and if there's a problem, you submit a ticket. And um, you know, three, three or four of us were sitting there thinking about it and talking about it. We're thinking, there's just no way we can't afford to have this level of error present on day one. And so we ultimately ended up building out a QA process to make sure that all the orders were present. Mm-hmm. And over the next six weeks, we implemented that and identified 400 orders that were either absent or incorrect. 
we subdivided those into critical versus non-critical and then worked with the analyst to make sure that all the critical ones were fixed prior to go live. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my first taste of QA. And I was hooked after that. Um, a few months later, I ended up going back to Epic for their kind of new program back then called the Physician Builder Program, which essentially allows docs to train and get certified at the analyst level. So you can actually build within production. So you're building order sets and BPAs and navigators and workflow engine rules, things that allow you to make this whole experience better. And I did that for a couple of years. And that was a great experience. I learned all about change management, uh, the change control process, and of course, uh, underlying Epic build. Um, that led to some additional projects. And ultimately, um, I ended up spending a lot of time on our analytics here. And we can talk about that uh, at some point as well. I love it. I love it. No, I, well, so a couple of things. Uh, I really appreciate your background. I'm- kind of where you started off and it's a really deep and wide spectrum that have, has led you you know to your work today and it's it's really interesting you've been able to go deep on you know the technical and clinical side and kind of the merging of the of the workflows of them right and in this new value-based market obviously the workflows are changing and, and you know it's hard to get internal teams to change but i think at the the the, the end of the day the net net is you're touching some really interesting phenomenon in healthcare, some really cool innovations. I, I know you just came back from a conference last week, but can you tell us a little bit more about some of the things that really are capturing your fascination today, you know, in healthcare, whether it's whether it's in the EHR side, whether it's data science, just love to hear about like what's really uh, driving your passion for healthcare. Some one or two things. I'd just love for you to, to tell us a little bit about them and, and also why you're passionate about them. Sure. So I think there's a lot of great and cool technology that is coming at us um, very rapidly. And we're able to implement a portion of that. But I think at the end of the day, if you're going to be effective at this intersection of healthcare and IT, healthcare and IT, you need to do two things really well. Number one, you need to deliver an exceptional customer experience. And by customer, I mean patient, doctor, nurse, PT, pharmacist, whoever's intersecting with your technology as it relates to your health system, they have to be able to navigate that in a way that is effective for them so they can get the job done as it relates to the patient. And so that will take the form of many different technologies. Right now we use Epic, we use Halo, we use a variety mm-hmm. of different things uh, to get our job done. That may or may not change over time, uh, but we have to always have as the goal this um, exceptional customer experience. Mm-hmm. And the second piece will sound a little more boring, but it's incredibly important. And that is we have to be a high reliability organization. We have to put in place the redundancies and the uh, architecture so that this stuff never fails. We can't mm-hmm. afford to have it fail, whether it's right. by ransomware or whether it's by um, a human error or whether it's a hardware error. We cannot afford to let that happen. So those are kind of my two areas of focus right now. Um, mm-hmm. And as it relates to those two areas, the kinds of things that I think will be kind of pushing us the next level in terms of taking care of patients mm-hmm. include voice recognition. Right. I really feel like voice recognition has um, been underutilized up mm-hmm. till now. Essentially, it's been a documentation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next tier, the next threshold we need to get to is where uh, voice recognition becomes command and control. Right. Where I can step in front of the EHR or with the patient, and I can say, 
hey, Epic, uh, bring up the last five uh, kidney tests for Mrs. Mm-hmm. Jones and graph them out. Um, because really, if you think about it, the, the, the provider, the doctor, the nurse, really needs to be able to spend their time thinking about what to do with the information, not mm-hmm. on searching and finding the information. Right, right. Right. And do you see that coming about now with the different EHRs? Is that coming from the, the innovations coming from the EHRs or is it, is it new companies, you know, out there? I just love to understand a little bit more on some of the capabilities, what's, what's out there, where's it coming from? Um, and, and if you have more use cases on that, I'd love to hear more, but yeah, voice is yeah. super powerful. We believe that as a company as well. So. Yeah, I, I think it's, I just think it's huge. I just think it's yeah. how we navigate our world. Um, and, you know, they're making progress. I mean, you think mm-hmm. about where um, M-Modal has come and Nuance has come. They've done a lot in the last couple of years in terms of upping the, upping the game in terms of accuracy. Um, Nuance has a cloud-based uh, product known as DMO, and M-Modal has a partial cloud-based program, um, both of which have significantly uh, improved the accuracy uh, of the experience. And I can tell you as a provider, having inaccurate speech recognition is one of the most frustrating things you can experience um, because you know you said it right, right. and yet when you, la- when you later read the chart, it's just, it makes no sense at all. Yeah, what was that? Yeah. Incredibly frustrating. But I have seen where they're, where they're headed, and they are headed towards this voice recognition where it goes to com- you know, a full chart completion, mm-hmm. ordering of tests, discharging the patient. Um, they're headed that way. It's just to me, it feels like it's taking too long. Right, right. And, it, and it, what's fascinating about it, what I find, is, is like it's this middle point between thinking, being on the fly, not holding too much information in your head, preserving the story. No better way to do that than, than, than try and like give information by voice, retrieve information by voice. It, it, it's just such a natural progression. Obviously, we're not we're not in the minority report, you know, Steven Spielberg interface world yet, but, you know, voice is such a, such a powerful element you see alexa google home siri right you know the consumerization is happening so people are already you know the doctor's already talking to their watch and their phone and telling their phone to dial some people but you know it makes sense that the number one system you use on a daily basis to be able to get the the, the puts to the, the ins and outs of it right um you know it sounds like a tremendous um you know opportunity uh, dr milligan i guess what other innovations along those lines right so um, with EHR innovations, uh, you know, whether it's workflow related, IT related, you know, there's voice, there's data science, what, what else fascinates you and what else, I guess, also kind of leading into kind of like your vision for health in the future, what else is going on out there that captures your fascination that's paving the way for, for, for some interesting possibilities in the future? Yeah. So like a lot of folks, uh, data is high on my list. Mm. Um, I, I will say though, my, my take might be a little bit different because I'm looking at it from a clinician's perspective as well. So I think, you know, you talk to a lot of data companies, they'll talk to you about all the different ways we can gather data and put data into the system. I think the challenge is to be able to parse it in a way where when it's actually presented to the decision maker, the doctor or the nurse or whoever's looking at it, it's presented in a way that is simple, clean, and accurate. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where... in my opinion, so far, that's where a lot of um, uh, companies have not quite stepped up all the way. And I tell you, it scares the docs. The docs yeah. will tell you when you talk to them, I don't want more data. Don't, go, don't give me any more data. It's not helpful. 
And mm-hmm. I think until we package it in a way where it's easily digestible and it's actionable out of the gate, um, they're going to feel that way. The other challenge, of course, is around the ingestion of data. You know, one of the benefits of a lot of these um, big box EHRs is that you can customize it in 18 different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's 18 different ways to bring data in. The problem with that is when you go to report on that data, if you have 18, 18 different spots where it's actually located, the reporting frequently is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So getting the workflow um, unified and clean, uh, taught, accepted, and actually used is the challenge across the system. And that's one of the things that we struggle with uh, is getting the workflows consistent across the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. I, and it's, it's so fascinating uh, what's possible with data. And yeah, structure, architecture, um, you know, making it structured information is key. And obviously having those inputs go where it needs to go in the right field within the EHR, but essentially set up right so it can trigger other, you know, workflows to happen. And it feels like, you know, that, you know, the premise of really good automation to workflows is one, making sure it's a real workflow and you're fixing it, right? And then having the data support these workflows in a structured format is just as key, right? So, you know, bad inputs in, bad inputs out, or said more positively, you know, the better the structure, the better the, the, the workflow and the potential automation in the future. And I guess when it comes to like data science, the data science side and predictions, right? Assume the data is good. Do you have any theses on like, you know, the benefits of machine learning, the benefits of predictions or kind of like data science and action of what it can mean for better decision-making for the patient, better decision-making for the clinician. Any thoughts on the, the data science side? Yeah, I, you know, my, my, like a lot of folks, I just kind of bucket in the three buckets of, you know, you have retrospective data, which is kind of what, what we've been doing for the last 10 years or so. Um, and then you have prospective data. Um, where you're, you know, it's predictive in nature. You're having to predict who will get sick from what. Um, and then there's prescriptive, where you're mm-hmm. really saying, not only am I going to say who is going to get sick, but here's the intervention that's going to change that. I would say we've gotten pretty good at retrospective um, mm-hmm. evaluations, although there's still significant challenges, particularly around data governance, mm-hmm. right? Frequently, we don't we don't all agree on what the terminology is. So for example, if I say length of stay in a hospital and you say length of stay, that might mean two totally separate things. Mm -hmm. We still have a lot of work to do around data governance and and making sure we're all speaking the same language. But barring that, I think we've gotten pretty good at retrospective evaluations. Uh, Predictive, however, I think is still all over the map. It's Mm -hmm. not clear to me that we've We've landed at a great spot. I kind of feel like these are the computer wars of the 90s. <laughs> you know, and eventually Microsoft and Apple kind of rose to the top and a few other, you know, Oracle, right. a few other ones kind of rose to the top, but it took a while to get to that point. And so right. you know, they, it, when people identify and create predictive models, they use um, statistical tools to help uh, identify how accurate they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago, only a couple of years ago, the accuracy rates were when they were being touted, they'd be touted at, you know, 0.55, 0.61, which is only a little bit better than flipping a coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we've come, we, we've made some progress on, the, on that uh, front, but I think we have, you know, still a long ways to go. Absolutely. And the other, the other scenario is prescriptive. And this is where it really gets challenging because mm-hmm. if you identify, you have a 10,000 10, people in your cohort and you identify here are the 200 people 
people are likely to have a stroke. It turns out figuring out which one of those 200 will actually respond to your interventions is a real challenge. You can intervene. You can do things that you know are probably healthy. But figuring out which people will actually uh, respond to that, that's even a higher level challenge. So mm-hmm. I think we still have work to do on that front as well. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I, pre- I appreciate the perspectives, uh, you know, Dr. Milligan, for sure. This is, uh, you know, really, really interesting. And obviously, you've seen this from so many different dimensions from not just a workflow in IT, but clinical, the clinical side, which is, you know, super powerful. Uh, Dr. Milligan, I have one more question for you. Um, before I ask it, I guess, what's, um, what's a good way for our listeners to engage with you on social media if you would like that to happen? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I, I'm on Twitter, and on Twitter it's uh, Lee underscore MD underscore IT. Okay, perfect, perfect. And then I'm, I'm on LinkedIn for uh, just Lee Milligan. Yeah, well, um, no, I appreciate that. We'll link to those in the, in the show notes. Um, my last question is more along the lines of, you know, personal habits, or I guess a personal routine that really works for you. You know, obviously you're – you've seen so much in health, you probably, you know, have seen some interesting things that work and don't work from a health perspective. Um, what keeps your engine going, whether it's like a morning routine, a weekly routine, uh, what, what makes you, what, what keeps you feeling great, you know, from a health perspective? So, um, I'm, I'm uh, middle age at this, <laughs> this point. And so I used to, I actually used to run track. I, in college, I, uh, I ran track in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I used to love to run. I, it's hard to run anymore like I used to, uh, but I love to walk. And mm-hmm. there's something uh, incredibly uh, meditative uh, about walking. And, and frank, frankly, besides the shower, it's where my best ideas arise. Right. right. So I, lo- I love to walk. And I like to walk um, not you know, on a treadmill, but rather outside, try to get someplace where I'm, you know, I'm seeing birds or whatever. So I'm getting exposed to nature. Um, that really recharges my batteries. I just got back this weekend from the coast. My wife and I took our four kids up to the coast and we spent um, the mornings walking along the beach. And, mm. you know, it's pretty therapeutic to be looking for starfish and uh, clams and, and uh, balancing on rocks. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so awesome and so key. It's funny how I, I'm sure you've seen it from a health perspective. Everything's coming full circle. I don't know what it is, but. Um, the the old simple stuff is back in vogue, right? Like drinking yeah. lots of clean water, right? And yeah. you know, getting outside, eating like green stuff, lots of it, and going for walks. Um, and it's so counterintuitive. It's like you know, I, I can speak for myself here. I can be on my computer all day. I'm on the verge of like I need to update a, a deck or a presentation, and I'm struggling for an idea in the middle of the crazy day. But yes, the walk will probably help me figure that out a lot better, right? The meditative, just calm, get out in nature. And uh, it's funny how counterintuitively we fight the, we fight the walk, but uh, I forget it was like an old school medical thing too, right? The walking man, right? Um, right. <laughs> and so, um, but no, it's very inspiring actually. I think after this in a little bit, I'm going to go for a walk and hopefully I'll, I'll get struggled with a good idea. Um, but uh, Dr. Milligan, I just want to say, we would love to have you back on the show as you work and roll out further things. I really appreciate your experience. The other thing is I really appreciate your, your origin story, your background, and for you sharing it with us. Um, and so this was great to have you on the show. Um, and to our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone with a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. Uh, Dr. Milligan, again, thank you so much for being on the show. This was great. 
My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to come back at any time and uh, have a good day. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.